Last week, last week we, uh, we went through what we called the King's Community. Jesus takes 12 guys, calls them to himself and says, okay, this is going to be my inner circle. We know them as apostles. And he calls these 12 and says, I'm giving you a specific mission. You're going to go. You're going to be my people. You're going to spread this to the world. You're going to go and preach. You're going to go and cast out demons, right? This is your role as you go forth. So he calls this community to himself, the community that would go with him everywhere up into the cross. Now, this week now, we find ourselves, and here's where I think the crowd is, because here's what happened. Jesus calls them on the mountain last week, calls the 12 to them, and then they begin to do stuff, right? This week, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking the crowd that we'll see here, much of the same people, I think this crowd is also saying, well, why didn't he pick me, right? What have I done wrong? I mean, I, I would do this stuff. Jesus, I'm here too. Why didn't I make it into the 12th? And, and I think that's a legitimate question for the people. Why them and not me? Did, did I do something wrong? What And all of those little questions. You see, this, this week, as I was thinking about this, uh, Nate, our, our worship director, who I so just aptly praised, uh, he, he posted something on his Facebook page, and it was, hey, uh, there's this new podcast out, and, and, and if you like podcasts, you should check it out. And then he went in on Facebook and then tagged about six or seven friends, right, that he knows like podcasts. And, uh, and he didn't tag me right? And I love podcasts, okay? And so I look on the list, and Anthony G's on the list, our friend Ben's on the list, Zach Walbear's on the list, and I say to myself, where's Vince? I like podcasts too, Nate. I can't wait till you leave. Just kidding. Didn't say that part. But literally, here's the thing. I bring that up to say, that is just how insecure we are. I was, I was like, man, why didn't... And Honestly, this is the reality of, I think, the human heart, is that we long to belong, if that makes sense, right? The human heart longs to be part of something, longs to be part of a mission, part of a vision, and part of a people. And so last week we see Jesus say, hey, all of you guys, I'm going to, like, if I pick 12 of you right now and said, hey, you guys come with me, the rest of you stay here. There's this immediate way, why didn't he pick me? What, what have I? And so that's where the landscape is right now. That's the context we're entering into is some people were kind of called in this inner circle. Other people left out. Why did this happen? And so here's the thing that we're going to get out of today's text. I think in the, even in the midst of this fear, in the midst of this anxiety, uh, in the midst of this insecurity, we find the greatest assurance of God's grace I think we can find anywhere else in the Bible. I mean, it is tremendous what we will find out here by what Jesus is declaring about himself and his family in all of Scripture. So let's do it. Verse 20, he says this. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Bilzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And so we have Jesus leave the moment on the mountain, and he goes to take a nap, essentially, right? He's like, I'm tired. And so let me go get a nap in, let me go rest. And then he goes to try to have this rest, and it does not happen because once again, the impending crowds are just everywhere, all clamoring for a piece of Jesus. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, I want to be part of your crew. Whatever it may be, they're all again at Jesus' doorstep. He cannot even 
rest. I had a big moment of this this week. I'm laying down. I put Finley down. He's my little eight-month son, eight-month-old son. I put him down, and then I lay down. I'm thinking, okay, great. I'm going to fall asleep because he's asleep. And there's literally, the second I close my eyes, I feel a tug. He had just pulled himself up, looks at me wide-eyed, waits a standing like two count, and then wails, just starts crying, and then I'm awake again, and then it, he just never fell asleep, right? There's this reality of Jesus like, I need to rest. I need some time by myself to spend with the Lord, and yet there was just so much going on all of these people. Again, just giving you a background of what's happening. Now, amidst the crowd, we're going to see two parties that are angry with Jesus. Two parties here that are frustrated with Jesus. One is his family, okay? And the other one is the scribes. Now, now we, at this point, we probably expect the scribes because they're just always complaining, okay? But before that, we, we have the family is complaining too, his immediate family, his mother and his brothers. And he's like, whoa. So here's what I find interesting about this. Both of these two groups, if you were to step back and know nothing about the story up to this point, you would make the assumption that these are the two groups that Jesus would love the most. You, you would think, okay, of all the groups, Jesus would say, these, these, these two here, these are the ones that I love. And it's obviously the religious people, right? The ones who are following the law, the ones that are um, really into God and faith and all that. It would be, it'd be those people that he would love the most. And then, of course, he would love his family. Everyone loves their family. And so that would be the other group. But instead, he's going to attack them here and call them out and say, no, something is not right. The other, other thing about these two groups is they're also the two groups we would assume would love Jesus the most. So the assumption would be is that, yeah, obviously his family would love their only son, right? That they would, they would love this kid, well, one of many sons, I don't know I said only son, they would love this son, they'd love Jesus, but they don't. They're complaining. And then you get the other group, you get the religious and say, oh, obviously they would love Jesus because they've been waiting for him for thousands of years and he's finally here. That they're the ones that love God, that know every Old Testament prophecy about the guy that they're standing in front of, and yet they too hate them. So you get this weird contradiction where these two groups should be the groups that Jesus loves the most, and they should be the two groups that love Jesus the most, but they're not. And so what we already see Mark doing here in the Bible in his letter, is he setting up this dividing line, which will continue on big time into next week, but this dividing line between who's in his family and who's not in his family, okay? Who's in his community, in his people, who's been adopted and who have not. And so that is the thrust. That's what he's trying to get. He's going to separate really what this looks like, okay? So I think the family declaring he is out of his mind is, is rather profound. Because this is something that the Pharisees and the scribes have been saying for a while now. And then all of a sudden, now you hear the family bringing it up. And, and I just wonder if what happened to the family is, is they just got to the point where they were listening to the voices of the Pharisees, the voices of the scribes, the louder voices of the day rather than Jesus himself. That, that what was going on in their minds is they just kept hearing all this other stuff and they said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe this instead of Jesus. And I just kind of wonder, is that not us? How quickly we are to just listen to the other voices of the world, the louder voices that would say, no, this is what's true about God, instead of what Jesus says is true about God. And then we judge, we base our lives according to a wrong speaker, instead of Christ. Example of this, I, um, I was about two, three weeks ago sitting at Fire Creek Coffee, reading my Bible, I'm Christian, and so just, you know, 
fanning through, doing my thing. And the guy looks over, he says, you reading that for, uh, are you reading that for class? I said, I said, no, man, just, just reading it for kind of my own personal study, enrichment, stuff like that. And he goes, well, you know it's full of contradictions, right? I said, oh, is it? <laughs> and he says, he goes, yeah, I've studied it. I said, oh, have you? <laughs> so then I, and I say, he goes, yeah, I have. I said, well, I haven't studied it that much, so why don't you tell me where they're at, okay? And so he sits down and he says, yeah, look, let me show you. And we go through about five or six different contradictions in Scripture, okay? And I don't want to come up here and say that they were, they were wrong or silly or ridiculous or worthless or pathetic or silly or dumb or, or groundless or, you know, none of that. Um, but they were, okay? And so, and so we just go through, and I said, listen, man, I, I said, I get what you're trying, I get what you're coming to. I think you're coming in from a different angle, different bias here. Um, but let me just ask you this question. Where did you... Where'd you get that information from? Like, why, why, do you, why do you think that it says this and not this? And, and he says, oh, I've been, you know, I read some stuff. I said, well, where'd you read it? He says, ah, you know, just online, blogs and stuff. I say, oh, online blogs and stuff. Okay. I said, because that is the epitome, right, of, of, of just perfect textual criticism in our world today, is someone's blog of a guy who's probably at home right now on his couch. Okay. And you know what, I, I take that back, because some of you write great blogs, but this guy who probably wrote the blog that was wrong, he's on his couch somewhere doing nothing, okay? Um, and so I said, so, so you're getting and basing your entire worldview on someone else's blog that you don't know. And he says, well, well, yeah. And I said, he goes, would you not do that? And I said, well, I don't know, man. I said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and put my my trust and my hope in a book that's been around for over 2,000 years that has stood up to every textual criticism and scrutiny of all time, and it is still the most read, translated, and important book that history has ever seen. Right? Amen. And he says, well, it's good for you. (laughs) And I said, it could be good for you too. And he says, well, we'll see. And so, I don't know if he's going to read it. Are you here? No, not here. Okay, that would have been weird. I always get nervous of that when I start using local illustrations. But, um, but what, hear me, hear me, church. What voices, what teachings are you listening to today? Okay? Like, who is informing your worldview? Whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, who is informing what your life will look like? Because if it's not Jesus, then it's a bunch of voices that don't have the power and authority that he's about to flaunt. Okay? And if, it's, if that's true, then you're going to find issues. Okay? You're going to find issues, especially with, with Scripture. Okay? So that's, that's the family part. The scribes, they're, they're just doing their normal thing. They're just kind of being, being whiny. But they say this one statement. Right? It says, he is, uh, he is casting out demons. He's, by the prince of demons, casting out demons, is their comment. Which is just a ridiculous comment. He, he, they're literally saying, okay, this guy, Jesus, is by the power of Satan, casting out Satan's men. As if Satan would want that, right? It's just a silly argument. It makes no sense. This is the equivalent of, this is Gandalf invoking the power of Sauron to get rid of the Urukai. You know what I'm saying? Right? This, this, is, this is Yoda, okay, using, using the dark side power, right, to get rid of the stormtroopers. I mean, that's just, this makes zero sense, and yet they are so, we're going to get them. We're going to get Jesus with this one. And Jesus is like, you're not smart. Okay? And so this is his response. He's going to defend himself and his authority in verse 23. He says, He called them to him and said, in the ten, said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? 
If kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. Verse 27, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. So he goes on the, uh, goes on the offensive here and says, no, 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 let me show you why I have authority to do this. This isn't me casting out by Satan's power. This is my power. And so first he just shoots a hole into their argument, which we just did, right, with the brilliant Yoda illustration. Um, just saying, listen, that doesn't make sense to go to Satan. If, if Satan were to do that, he's dividing himself against his own power and his own kingdom. He's turning on his own people and his kingdom will fail. He would never do that. Okay, so that's the first illustration. The second one is, go and bind the strong man. And this would be kind of confusing, but it's very simple. It's, if you're going to rob somebody, you've got to take care of the homeowner first before you can just go rummaging in his house, if he's there. So if you were to walk into Chuck Norris's house, right, and he's in there doing his thing, like he's, you know, you've got to walk in there, catch him on the total gym, and then wrap him and just cinch him down, Right? And there's, sorry Chuck, and then you go into his house and take over. But if you just go in there and Chuck gets off that total gym and he sees you messing with his stuff, you're going to get karate chopped to the face, okay? What Jesus is saying is, listen, you know why I have authority to do this? You know why this isn't by Satan's power, it's by my power? It's because I'm here. And because when my kingdom came, which I've, I'm saying my kingdom is here, it has arrived. When my kingdom has arrived, I have bound Satan. I am the king of this universe. I am the king of this land. I have authority. He does not. I do what I want to do. Jesus is the king of kings, lord of lords, and he casts Satan into bound, a bound state that he can just come in and he can begin to work what he wants to work. And so he can cast out any demon he'd like. He can reach out and call whomever he like. He can heal whomever he likes. Okay. And so he's, listen, I've come in. I've bound Satan. For, I'm not doing this by Satan's power. In fact, I've bound Satan. I do this by my power alone. So Jesus flaunting this power is, is very important because it's that same power that is calling you today, saving you today, restoring you today, and asking you to continue to be part of his family. It's that same power and that same authority that he calls us this morning. That he's calling the people out here. Who do you belong to? Which family are you in? What side of this dividing line will you find yourself? Okay. Now, he brings the hammer in verse 28. It says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So truly I say to you, in other words, what I'm about to tell you is going to be hard to believe. Anytime you see Jesus kind of throw, listen, and, they, and a lot of the Old Testament rabbis would do this too. It's truly, I say, it's a hard teaching. But what I'm about to tell you is true and accurate and right and good. Truly, I say, it's equivalent of when we say, honestly. You know, someone says, ask you a hard question, like, well, honestly. And then you insert whatever the answer is, which I do always find kind of funny because do you lie the rest of the time? So that's the only, honestly, because normally I lie, this is what I'm going to tell you, right? Jesus is going to come in with a very hard teaching and is easily one of the most debated and controversial verses in all of Scripture. Is there truly a sin that is unforgivable by God's grace? Is, is there a sin that the cross of Christ does not cover? 
Is there something that the God of the universe says, I will forgive it all, but not this one thing? And the Bible would say, yeah. The Bible would say yes. And so th- this becomes a hard teaching because that's not often what we hear. It's always, God will forgive you for anything. And that's kind of true. So let's break this down. What's, what's actually being said? Two questions first, I think, is what does this mean and have I done it? Right? I think those have to be the two questions that come out. So what does this mean and am I guilty of that? Because if I'm guilty of that, that means I'm not forgiven and this will go badly for me. And so the first one, what does this mean? Merriam-Webster, I always like to look at what Webster has to say about it. They call blasphemy the act of insulting or showing contempt or lack of reverence for God. Okay? Now, we go by that and we're like, geez, well, done that, so we're, none of us are saved. Right? Done that. I, sure, there's been disrespect. There's been times in my life where I did not revere God as I should have. So has he forgiven me? Okay? Let's look at a couple other texts to help us here. Acts 7, 51-53 says this. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Okay, so, so Paul is calling out a lot of the Jews of the early church and saying, man, you've, you had thousands and thousands of years where God was calling you and calling you and calling you and saying, be my people, be my people, walk in the light, not in the darkness, stay in my law, don't leave my law. If you depart from it, it will not go well with you. And yet over and over and over again, they choose everything but God. And so Paul's calling him out here in Acts 7, this continual, this continual, over and over, rejection of the work of God in your life leads to a hardening, a stiff-neckedness that will not allow you to see the grace that has been so present in your life. Okay. Another text, Matthew 12, 31 and 32 it says, therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Verse 32 is very important for us. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whosoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. And so Matthew gives us one more thing to consider. He takes that same story, that same text, and gives us another detail. He says, let me, let me show you what's going on here. That Jesus, if you speak badly and poorly about Jesus, okay, that, that, that's okay. But if you start speaking bad about the Holy Spirit, he's a little more testy, not okay. And so I thought about trying to really preach through this, but, uh, you know, sometimes if, if someone's already said it really, really well, why try and say it again another way? I want to do a quote from Pastor, or, the theologian, Professor Wayne Grudem who says this about this text, says, one who asks to be forgiven for disrespectful words hastily spoken against Jesus will be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, that is the persistent and unrepentant resistance against the work of the Holy Spirit and his message concerning Jesus. This, Jesus says, will not be forgiven. The person who persists in hardening his heart against God, against the work of the Holy Spirit, and against the provision of Christ as Savior is outside the reach of God's provision for forgiveness and salvation. Okay. So Jesus, again, in this, in this very tough, controversial teaching, 
is, is defining even more the dividing line between who's his family and who's not his family. And a new detail, a new wrinkle in this dividing line is if you have lived in a continual, unrepentant rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to say, I want you, I'm calling you, come be mine, leave the idols of this world. If it is continual, unrepentant, then the grace of God is too far out of reach for you. You have hardened your heart too far. Okay. Now, if this is true, what does that mean for us? Okay. If it's true, if there is a sin that God will not forgive... What do we do? First, let me say this. It's in no way that he doesn't want to. It's in every way that you don't want to. You don't want him. You don't want his grace. You don't want his mercy. You don't want his forgiveness. And so you've gone after other things, and you've rejected the work of God, and the Holy Spirit's calling on your life. Okay, let me just make sure that's clear. Now, a big question for us then is, um, how many times must I reject before then I've committed this sin? How, How do I know when I've become too hard? And the answer is, we don't know. The answer is, I have absolutely no idea. At what point is a heart too hard to ever receive the gospel of grace? I don't know. The other day, uh, Finley, again, uh, just love this little kid, but um, Verity was, was on one side of the room, and I'm on the other side of the room, and we plopped him down in the middle, right? And then we started competing for his affection, okay? And, uh, and so I'm on one side, and I'm, Finley, hey, come here, buddy. You know, I'm like, you know, like whistling and just anything, like he's a puppy, right? And he's just, and so he's, look, he's doing this. You know, and he's like doing this, and he's just so confused, like, you know, this poor kid. And, uh, and so I'm calling to him, hey, come to daddy, come to the father, come, 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 I'm, I'm calling you here. And then he went to his mom, okay? Uh, and that happens every single time. I mean, like, I just had no chance, I have, I have no milk. And so, um, amongst other things, like, she's the, honestly, like, the best mom ever. But, so he, she, he chooses, he chooses her. He chooses her. And I said to him, I said, Finley, if you do this 10 more times, I reject you. Okay? That's it. You're no longer my son. There is no more forgiveness. Okay? Obviously, did not say that. But here's, here's the reality in my heart. He could literally walk to Verity every single day for the rest of my life. It would not change the desire I, I would have to love him. That I would always and always and always do anything I could possibly do to bring him back to me doesn't matter how many times he rejected, how many things he said. As he gets older, if, if while he goes to mom, he says some choice, it does not matter. There's nothing that he could do that would ever cause me to say, I, I don't want you. But there's a lot that he could do to say, he doesn't want me. And so again, this dividing line has, this, has some details to it. Okay. This, this dividing line has, has some descriptors to it about what it looks like, who is in his family and who is not. Okay, it's very important. So I want to say this. If, if you're asking yourself, well, have I done this? If you're asking yourself right now, well, man, have I done that? Have I rejected God to the point where I don't even care anymore? The reality is, I, I would say this. If you're even asking yourself that question, the answer is probably no. 
that if you're sitting here and you're like, gosh, have I done that? No, because you're already thinking, I wish I could go, the, go back the other direction. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. You just repent and come to the Lord. And so this teaching is tough and confusing, and I can only imagine what it was like for the people who heard it. These Pharisees, these scribes who have continually rejected Jesus already early on in his ministry, to his family members who have now begun to reject him, to the scores of other people that would do it, that this teaching becomes very hard. But I know this, again, the grace and the gospel of Christ extends pretty darn far. Okay. So let's wrap this up. Verse 31. And his mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Okay, so his family comes running to him. And now if we look at the language plainly, we would think, oh, they're coming to maybe ask for forgiveness. Maybe they just heard what he just said and said, oh my gosh, we've been hardening our hearts. And so we've come to seek you and to repent. But every other time we see this word seeking in the New Testament, all throughout the the gospel of Mark here, it is always with the intent to thwart Jesus' work. It's always with the intent to stop Jesus from doing what he's doing. And so they're not probably coming to say, Jesus, we're sorry, take us back. We want to be part of your family. No, they're coming in again to just continue to stop the work of Jesus and halt his witness to this world. And so they have not repented. They have not turned around. And he says this to them in this ultimate, just, man, I couldn't imagine what it would have been like just for the family to hear this, to say, hey, you know what, my true family, the people that are truly my mothers and brothers and sisters, they're the people that do the will of God. They're the people that hear the calling and work of the Holy Spirit and they respond and say, Amen. They're the people that hear and realize that every single day there is a calling on the life of the human being to be adopted into God's family. And so will you? Will they? And that's the question for the entire crowd. Where do you stand? What side of this? Are you family or are you not family? Because he's calling family to himself and that, that means some things. There's a dividing line and so where, are you gonna na- where and how are you going to navigate that? What does that look like for us? I think at the end of the day, this passage is so beautiful to me and gives us such a great assurance of the grace that we've received because it's ultimately a passage about adoption. It's ultimately a passage about a Jesus, a Savior, a God who's come to earth to say, I want family and I want to bring you in. I want to call you to myself. This is not of your own choosing. If we just take a moment to think about adoption, you have kids in a room at an orphanage that don't have families and a family comes in and they look at this child and they choose and say, come and be part of this family. I choose to adopt you, to bring you in. And then that child is given every resource that, that, that belongs to that family. That child is given everything that the family owns is now that kid is part of. That is the beauty of adoption in our world, is the beauty of adoption in the Bible, is that God has called people to himself to say, come and be part of my family. You did not earn this. You did not deserve this, but you are brought in 
by me through the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection, you are forgiven and restored into the family of God. That is the calling today. Be adopted. Just to further prove the point, just this last little, I want you to think about it this way. This is a story of you leaving today, walking out, murdering someone's son, going to trial, that son's father coming in, taking the sentence for you, going to prison for you, you leave out the courtroom and the mother stands there and says, hey, I want you to come and be part of my family. It's the equivalent. We have, and we saw it in Acts 7, we have murdered God's son. Humanity did that. God did not retaliate. God used that for his glory to draw you back into a family where you are adopted in his. And so the applications for us today, if you're a Christian here today, you have been adopted into the family of God. Rejoice, sing, dance, high-five each other, be excited. You are God's children, adopted in not of your own doing, but of his grace, okay? That is, that is a tremendous thing for us to celebrate this morning. Also, Christian or non-Christian this morning, I do believe God is calling all of us, either as Christians, to be a greater part of the family, that God is calling you to more than you're already at now. He's asking more of you than he's asked before. He wants to show you more of his mission and how you are to love people and image God in this world. He's calling you to that. So Christian, do not stop the work of God as he tries to sanctify you and make you more like Jesus. Stop chasing after other idols. You have the Savior of the world in your corner. And stop rejecting the work of God in your life, even if you're a Christian. He wants to transform you, wants to renew your mind, wants to move you that your life would be a living sacrifice, all of life, all for Jesus, all the time. And so continue to allow him to do that work. Do not thwart it like the family and the scribes have done in this text. Non-Christian, if you're here, thanks for being here. Please, I plead, stop rejecting the God's work in your life. He's calling you. He's saying, come, be part of my family. I love you. I die. And if, if I couldn't prove it through me dying on the cross for you, I proved it through raising from the dead three days later to show you I'm the only one with the authority to make, have it all make sense. And so if you're here and, and you've just never given your life over, maybe today's the day. What things are causing you to halt the work of God in your life? To halt the calling of the power of and the work of the Holy Spirit calling grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy to all those who would repent and believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And they would celebrate that. The last response that we'll have today is baptism. And what a tremendous response. What a, honestly, what a tremendous text for us to be doing this. Because I think there's a few different groups in here today. There's a few of you guys that you've, you've never been, you're a Christian, but you've never been baptized. Because you're just like, I don't want to be all in, right? I, 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 I'll take the salvation, please, but let's leave behind some of the sanctification. Let me do my own thing. And not that this moment becomes the moment that all of a sudden something magical in your heart happens, but it is a tremendous moment for you to acknowledge before the church and before the world and before God, I am yours, Lord, and I long for me to stop stopping the work that you want to do in my heart and continue to live in your glorious goodness and gospel and grace. And so, Christian, if you're here and you've never been baptized, today's the day.
Maybe you're nervous because you don't have a change of clothing. Well, we, we do. We have shorts and t-shirts for you. Can't use that. Maybe you're fearful because, well, what does that mean for tomorrow? And I think there is a reality of counting the cost and saying, no, do I love Jesus? Do I want to give my life to him? Yeah, then there's a, there's a counting the cost moment. But I'm telling you, if you're sitting here and the Holy Spirit is moving and saying, no, this is, it's time. Give, give it all over. And you haven't been baptized. Christian, it's time. There's a whole other group of you that I think, listen, you came and you didn't believe. And Jesus wasn't your Savior. But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit's call has been made more evident to you today through the Word of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Give your life over. Stop stopping the call and the work of God this morning and come and be baptized. Okay. Come and be baptized and celebrate the work that we see Jesus declaring in his authority in this text. And then as these people come forward and get baptized this morning, we say it a lot, we want you guys to get a little rowdy, okay? To rejoice in the power of the stories that we see come forward. And so I'm going to pray, and then we'll give you some instructions about what to do next. Let's do it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace again this morning. Got to thank you that uh, I know for a long time I rejected you. For a long time I said no thanks. For a long time I thought I had it all figured out. For a long time I just wanted to do my own thing. For a long time I just thought there wasn't enough evidence. For a long time, for a long time, God, there was all this stuff. And then for whatever reason, about 12, 13 years ago, you just said it was time, and so you called me to yourself, and I heard it, and I responded. And God, I thank you for that moment. I thank you for that moment that's happened in so many of the people in this room this morning. God, I pray, I pray that those stories, whether anyone's been here and they're a Christian, not a Christian, whatever, that they would just see the hand of God throughout their whole life. They would hear the voice of God calling them either to more of him or calling him to just that initial, let's get to know each other, faith-handed-over type of moment. And so, God, would you save this morning? Would you restore this morning? Would you refine this morning? That all of us in the room would look a lot more like Jesus after this hour and a half than before it. Lord, thank you that you are calling. Thank you that you are saving. God, and thank you that you have brought together a family to be part of. It's your name we pray. Amen.